Well, good morning. My name is Zach Thompson, and I am on staff here at Calvary. And, and we have a, a really big week this week. Uh, if nothing else, our Bible studies are launching. Uh, on Mondays and Thursdays, men and women will be gathering here to, to take seriously God's Word, to study it, to learn from it. Tomorrow night, uh, 6.30 to 8.30, we will have men and women here Thursday morning at 6.30 a.m. If you are adventurous to come and join me before work, uh, I encourage you to do that. Our, our women uh, will come at 10 a.m. I think it's 10 a.m. I didn't do my research before coming up. Uh, let's say 10 a.m. on that one and get corrected later if I'm wrong. But, but Bible studies are launching this week, and we're really excited about that. And we're really encouraged of what God might do through these times of people coming together to learn from him. But it's also something that we're, we're celebrating this week. We, we have some partnerships uh, at, at this church that, that we, we cherish, that, that we, we are, are uh, incredibly grateful for. Today marks the eight-year anniversary of Uri Church meeting in this building. Uh, and if you don't know Uri, they, they are a church that meets during our 1030 service in our student ministry room. It is a, uh, a Korean-speaking worship service, and, and we are so excited uh, that we get to celebrate with them eight years of being together as a church. If you see um, Pastor Peter or, or any of our, our friends who attend Uri, just celebrate with them this day. Uh, also exciting is that this Friday marks the one-year anniversary of Vida Nueva meeting here, which is a Spanish-speaking church that meets on Fridays. And a year ago, they, they started meeting here. Uh, uh, Pastor Tom and I got to be at their, their first gathering together, and it's incredible to think uh, that a year has passed already. So uh, just be thinking about these churches. It, it's so honoring to get to partner alongside of them in this greater goal of, of reaching people for Jesus in a variety of languages, at a variety of times, and in a variety of circumstances, whether it's reaching the city of Thornton or the surrounding areas. We are so grateful to get to have these partnerships with Uri Church and Vida Nueva. And all of this is due to your generosity. We're able to offer our building up to these two other churches. We're able to have Bible studies, even some of the detail pieces of name tags so that people can be known uh, of, of uh, getting to put time towards the prep and research into curriculums that we think might best impact you. Uh, all of this is due to your generosity, that we worship God in a variety of ways, but we do so as well with our, with our giving, with our obedience of following him, with seeing his generosity that he's given us, that every good thing that we have comes from him. It's, it's so easy to think uh, Emily and I give online, which is incredibly convenient. It's, uh, we're grateful for that. But it's not the most worshipful environment just to see a bank statement that, that sees a deduction on it. And so we want to take time in this worship service to remember that our offerings are out of obedience, but they're out of worship to God. So let me pray for us. Whether you give online or in the back, we see this as a time of worship, as a time of obedience. Let me pray over that time. Father, we are so grateful for all that you have done, for this place that you have put us, this church that you've given us, these other communities of worshipers that are here. We do all of this out of obedience to you. Our lives are done out of worship for you, and that includes all that we have, because all that we have is ultimately yours. So we give back out of your generosity, out of your love, so that we can see what you might do in this church and other churches for your sake and for your kingdom. So it's to you and you alone that we pray. Amen.
We're going through the book of Luke together where we are looking uh, to see how we might gain confidence in Jesus, how we might grow in his likeness, how we might be part of this work of telling good news to all people. And we are doing it in a way to where not every passage will be preached on in our time together on Sunday, but it's, it's uh, a passage that will be looking back upon, because we are asking you all to be reading along with us. This week we had chapter 5, so hopefully you read Luke chapter 5 with us. And so since that was the homework, naturally I want to start today in Luke chapter 6. Yeah, and, and I know this might cause some anxiety about you, may, may bring back memories of showing up to class and realizing you did the wrong assignment. You did correctly with Luke 5. We will get to it. But I think there's a part in Luke chapter 6 that, that ties in a lot of, of what we will be seeing together in Luke chapter 5. So this is Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 12. And it says this. It says, In these days he, this is Jesus, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when he came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor." So last week, we, we saw that Jesus is able to bring this good news. He's able to bring this to all people because he is the unique, the long-sought-after Son of God. And yet, he's able to bring good news for us because he became like us in every way. But what is fascinating here, that though he is perfect, though he alone can do this role, he chooses not to do it alone. He has people join with him in this mission of bringing good news to all people. He, he has these group of followers that are called disciples, which, which means learner or follower, people who are seeking after Jesus to learn what is life, what are we to do with our lives, what is the purpose of all of this, to follow in his example, his modeling to us of how we are to live. And, and he's got this large number of people called disciples. And from his group of disciples, he calls 12 12 that he calls to be apostles. I know there's a lot of names going on. Disciples, followers, lots of them. Apostles, messengers, being part of this work, there's only 12. He calls from his disciples 12 to be apostles who will join in this work to uniquely in this time to do this work that Jesus is calling them to. And so we, we see uh, that the, we, from, these 12, uh, from these disciples, he calls 12 to be apostles. Now, as you look through these names of these, these apostles, a few of them we see for the first time in Luke chapter 5. We see some of them follow Jesus for the first time in Luke chapter 5. There's Simon, who will later be renamed as Peter, and James and John. They show up in chapter 5, 1 through 11. And then we have this name Matthew, which elsewhere in the New Testament we we learn is the same name for a man named Levi that we see in chapter 5, 27 through 32. And so we we see these initial callings of people back in chapter 5. And as we're looking at how these people are called, what it is that they're called to, this is what we find out in Luke chapter 5, that Jesus calls unlikely individuals to join an unlikely group towards an unlikely mission. Unlikely individuals, unlikely group, unlikely mission. 
So we'll start with the calling of these unlikely individuals. Let me read for us Luke 5. See, I told you we'd go back. Luke 5, 1 through 11. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gesenerat, which is also the Sea of Galilee. So he's standing at the lake of Gesenerat, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out from them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let out your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners on the other boat to come help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. For, now, for from now on, you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Got a few passages to work through, so I only just want to make a couple comments on this section. So we, we've been hearing Jesus' interaction with the people, and we keep getting these responses of, of they're astonished. They marvel at him. They're amazed at how he's teaching. And the, the amount of people who are learning from Jesus, who are choosing to, to follow him, is growing and growing and growing to, to the point where it's described here as a crowd that's pressing in on him. So to, to speak to them, to, to be able to get even some breathing room, he enters into Simon's boat to, to just have a sort of stage to be able to teach the crowd to get a little bit of room from them. But what's amazing is of the people that are called to follow in, him in this passage, it's not that crowd. It's not these people who are coming after Jesus. It's not the ones who have been following around. It, it's the guy who was just there. It's the guy whose boat he went into. See, Simon is not seeking after Jesus, but Jesus instead seeks Simon. And what's remarkable is we got this incredible call, good news going to all people, and Jesus is including people into that work. He doesn't have to. He's perfect in and of himself, but he's including people into that work. But he goes to fishermen. He goes to fishermen to join him in this process. He's not going to the best or the brightest. He's not going to those who have the monies to be, uh, money to be able to fund this thing to go global. He's not going to the scholars, those who have popularity to add some credit to his, his movement. He's going to fishermen. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with being a fisherman, much to the rejoicing of some of you here. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being a skilled laborer of, of any kind. But there was this idea then, and unfortunately now at times as well, that those who were the best, those who were wealthy, those who uh, had a following, those who were the scholars, they were the ones who deserved all the honor. And so if you wanted to start a movement and not just look like a ragtag bunch of, of guys who didn't deserve the, to be there, if you wanted to, to look legitimate, you needed to include those who had that honor. But Jesus doesn't do that. He instead goes to a fisherman. 
And more than that, education was different at this time. It wasn't a guaranteed schooling until you were 18. Instead, those who were skilled laborers became that as soon as they possibly could. So from the age of being a boy, Peter has learned to do one thing and one thing only, and that is catch fish. And yet this is the man that Jesus goes to. This incredible mission to, to make disciples, to bring this good news to all people, this news that's been so desperately waited for, that for someone to come and make all things right. Jesus has finally arrived. He's bringing people to do this role, and he calls on a fisherman. Peter himself realizes that he is not worthy of this calling. When he realizes who Jesus is, he recoils. He says, no. This happens after uh, a night where uh, there, was, uh, there, there was no fish that were caught, and no fish meant no sails, and no sails meant you didn't have money that day. And now they're there, it's morning, they're cleaning their nets, they're ready to go home just to sleep this one off, to forget about it and try again tomorrow. And then this man, this preacher man, this man who's never done this job before in his life says, well, why, why don't you try fishing over here? Hmm. Why don't we try that, Jesus? Well, maybe it's because we did try that all night long, and we caught nothing. And now we're cleaning the nets. For us to just go and, and throw them in for this fool's errand means we are now delayed. We have to clean them all over again. And the sun's out, the sun that clearly allows you to see that we're ready to go home. Well, it also allows the fish to clearly see our nets and avoid them. Why don't you stick to what you know, Jesus? Or maybe I just would have been the one to say that. Peter does show some hesitation, but he says, at your word, I will let down the nets. At your word, I will do this. And with this miraculous catch, this catch under the best of circumstances, which this was not, it's the wrong time of day, it's the wrong location, they were already fishing there, it's the worst possible situation to cast your nets again. Uh, even under the best circumstances, though, this catch is impossible to the point where two boats are sinking. That's just not impossible with the, the technology that they had at the time, with the nets that they had. And when Peter, when, when Simon uh, recognizes what has happened, he can see that there is something special about this man. And he sees that he's not worthy to be around him. We read it earlier, but this is verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is the one that Jesus is going to call to do such an important role. The most important opportunity that has happened to this point to join in this good news going to, uh, to all people that, that people have waited thousands of years for. This is the one who's, he's going towards from the Sea of Galilee, the, like, not even a, a, an important city. As a fisherman, he's not trained for this. He, he doesn't have the skill set for this. And he himself realizes that he should not be part of this. Depart from me. This is the one that Jesus is going to call? This seems like the most unlikely individual for Jesus to include. And yet that's exactly what Jesus does. Pick it up halfway through verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. 
From now on, you will be catching men. From now on, you will be helping people realize who Jesus is. From now on, you will be bringing this good news to all people. You will be catching men and women. But it seems like the most unlikely of person to include in that important task. Simon and also James and John who join after this, they seem so incredibly unlikely. And yet, that's nothing compared to Matthew, who is called Levi. He's called to follow Jesus in Luke 5, verse 27. And then after this, he, this is Jesus again, uh, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, elsewhere we know he's named Matthew, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. We talked a little bit already about tax collectors. Uh, tax collectors at the time were individuals who worked for the ruling Roman government, but they were from the people that they collected taxes from. So worked for Rome, but would be an Israelite collecting taxes from Israelites. So already not on a very good foot, right? People don't tend to like their oppressors, uh, let alone when you have someone from your people, from your area, who is helping your oppressors do their work. The word that was often used for tax collectors was traitor. But beyond that, th there was the fact that tax collectors had a set amount of, of money that they were supposed to collect from a people. A and uh, it was a job that didn't really come with a salary. There's not an hour hourly rate. So your ability to make a living, uh, depending on how good of a life you wanted to, to have, was based off of your ability to tell people that they owed more than they really did. So you're trying to collect as much as you can without getting to that, that point of people breaking and, and taking things out on you in a non, not very nice way. It, it, it's, it's like this. It's, it's as if uh, H&R Block did not have a set fee for you, but instead they were trying to convince you that you owed more taxes than you really did and they got to pocket anything in addition. That's what tax collectors were at this time. So they were working for the enemy, all the while exploiting their own people. Clearly, Jesus would not spend time with someone like this. Someone claiming to be from God, claiming to do God's work, he would know to avoid someone, let alone call someone to follow him, call someone to be his disciple, to give him such a special role to include him in the twelfth. That's the very complaint that people have to Jesus. This is verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So in, in the mind of the Pharisees, to even associate with people like this, to, to spend time with them, to have a meal with them especially, showed not, like, not only that, that things were fine, that it, it could show that you were approving of their life. Pharisees, on the other hand, avoided even being in the same room, in the same vicinity as these people, uh, just to show that there was no possibility of associating them, their pure selves, with people so tainted as these tax collectors. 
But Jesus goes and spends time with him. Why would he do this? Why would he go to such an unlikely person? Well, we get a little bit of that answer in his response. It's not those who are healthy that need a physician, but those who are sick. Who else can best appreciate this good news than those who most realize that they need it? Who else is more likely to go and tell others of this good news than those who have realized how impactful it is for them? And yet it's shocking. It's shocking then. It's shocking to us that this Holy One of God on this important task would call such unlikely individuals. But it's not just the individuals that are unlikely. It's not just the parts. When you look at the whole, you realize what an unlikely group these 12 end up being. We, we read it earlier, so we're not going to read it again, but, but uh, back in chapter 6 that we read earlier, ju- just skim through some of these names that we have on this list. We, we've already seen a few of them. Uh, there's, there's Simon, starts off with Simon, that's there. Uh, we, we saw him, he got called. We see James and John there. This initial group is those who are those skilled laborers. And then we get Matthew in verse 15, this tax collector, this one that these laborers would have been paying taxes to, would have been getting exploited by. And if not Matthew or Levi directly, then he represents someone who has been so harmful to them. But then you get a little bit further down to Simon, who is called the zealot. So the zealots were a group within Israel at the time that absolutely detest Rome. They aggressively and violently fought against Rome to remove any trace of them and anyone who was associated with them. Hear that as tax collectors. So you have this one who is so opposed to anything Roman in this group of 12 with someone who worked for Rome. This isn't some wacky 80s sitcom where these two roommates are so different. He's neat. He's messy. No, this is when they're in the same room, you need to make sure there's nothing sharp. And for them to be together, that seems so unlikely. Let alone you look through this list of people. None of them have experience with being part of something this big. None of them have the training to go along with this important task. None of them have the wealth or the popularity. Uh, none of them have anything that, would, that seems like it would contribute to this daunting task of fishing for men and women, of bringing good news to all people. You even look within it, there, there's nothing really that unifies them, that brings them together. Worse than that, there's pockets, there's, there's sex within it, there's brothers, there's fellow fishermen, there's, uh, and people who are radically opposed to that. So you see, as they operate together, there's infighting, there's who's the greatest, who's the best out of all of us. As you're looking through, like, wh- what do you do with, with putting together a team of leaders? This is not it. It seems the most unlikely of groups for such an important task. And that's the last bit. Unlikely individuals who form an unlikely group towards an unlikely mission. We see that in Jesus' call to Simon. Now you will fish for men and women. Now you will go towards those who are far from me. Now you will go and help others to see who I am. Now you will go and bring this good news to others. 
And just as the, the catch, I, I think that there's a lot to this image of, of the catch. It's the reason why Peter re- realizes something uh, special about this man. The, the people marvel because of this catch. There's significance in this. And I think it is a symbol that shows to what this work is that Peter is to be doing, that Simon's to be doing. You used to catch fish. Now you will catch men in a way that's as abundant and significant as this catch of fish here. Because it's not based off of the skills or the ability of the catcher. Peter worked all night and caught nothing. But at the word of this man, he puts down his, his nets and catches not just a once-in-a-lifetime catch, an impossible one. An impossible one. It's not based off of his skills or abilities, but off the word of this man who has never done this job before. And it's the similar abundance of what to be had. Now you will catch men. Now you will see people follow me. Now you will see disciples coming and and knowing the name of Jesus, of who he is and what he's done in an abundance like this catch is. And we've seen that. From this moment of history, millions of people have turned to follow Jesus. What an impossible catch. What an unlikely mission that is based solely off the word of this Jesus. Unlikely individuals in this unlikely group towards this unlikely mission. And that's always been true of Jesus' followers. We see it throughout church history. We see it today with with this group even here. We fit that same criteria. Because let's look at what we see in this passage and, and apply it to us as well. And a couple things that I want to point out. First and foremost is that this unlikely mission continues today. Now you will catch men. Go and make disciples. Help people to see and follow after me as well. All who are disciples, all who are following Jesus, go and make disciples as well. This isn't something uniquely given to Simon on this day in the boat, but is given to all who seek to follow Jesus. All who seek to be one of his disciples to be part of this work that is happening. And in the same way that all disciples are called to do this, we do it in the way that Jesus has done it, where Jesus goes to those who are the least likely, but the most in need of hearing of this great physician. He goes to those who were on the fringes of society, those who were outcasts, and he approaches them to help them see the need for this physician, the need to follow him. It is not those who are well that need the physician, but those who are sick. And so do we do that with our lives? Do we spend time with those who are on the fringes? Do we spend time with those who are outcasts within society, those who get looked down upon? Do we, do we approach the ones that Jesus approached, which is the ones no one else was going towards? Do we spend time with people that requires cleanup afterwards? Quite possibly a literal cleanup or clearing things up. Maybe you have to pull your, your kids aside afterwards. You know, just because he used that word. Do we spend time with people who get stares? And now because we are with them, we're getting looked at in this way. Do we spend time with those who are included in this passage. All people. Good news for all people. Those that Jesus spent time with. 
And with it as well comes the understanding that those who are most in need of a physician, those who are most in need of hearing this good news, oftentimes don't look like they have that need. That without getting to know them, everything looks good in appearances. That we get the constant, oh, I'm, I'm doing great from them. But are we willing to spend time with people inside the church and out to really hear what's going on? to really hear their needs, to really point them to this great physician who meets all needs, who saves his people, who calls them to experience this good news that is only found in him. And if this sounds difficult and uncomfortable to spend time with those that we don't want to spend time with, to, to have to put in effort and energy when we don't have much of either of them to really know what's going on in people's life, if this sounds difficult, well, now we're getting somewhere because it is. Oh man, is it difficult? Is it hard to find the time and energies when we're already lacking to do that elsewhere? But this is what we see we are called to do, to catch men. And it's uncomfortable, it's embarrassing, it takes time that we already don't have. But here's the beauty of it. We can't do it alone, and, and, we don't have to. We don't have to. That this daunting task, this uncomfortable task, this very difficult thing for us to do when we're already lacking time elsewhere, that we have people that we can link arm in arm to point them towards the good news. We are called to do this as a group effort. And I, I think we see that in a couple different ways in our passage. I mean, first of all, Jesus chooses not to do this alone. He has all the capability in and of himself to bring good news for all people, and yet he invites people into that process. I think to model to us that this work requires others. But you see it as well in, in Simon, trying to pull this net in. It's too full. It's difficult. So what does he do? He calls out to James and to John to, co to come and help in this task as well. And again, I think there's a lot of symbolism in this act. I think the text points to that. In the same way that they couldn't pull in that catch that day, we cannot hope to do this role that's been given to us, to go and catch men and women, to make disciples. We cannot hope to do that on our own. And yet we do not have to. We have other people in our lives. We have this <clears throat> community that's been given to us as well. So now we've hit... Reason number 4,789 as to why we need other people in our lives. And I, I know that maybe it still hasn't sunk in yet. We're still cavalier. We still think that we're fine on our own. We, we still think that we don't need a place to connect and to serve. Maybe hearing this today is, is the day that that finally sinks in, or maybe it's not until we hear reason number 100,000. But we will keep talking about it because it's in our text. We need each other. And we will keep talking about it because it's a truth that's in all of our lives. We cannot hope to do this alone, and we do not have to. But still, we look at this task, and it looks so daunting to call people to follow Jesus, to, to, to trust in him, to follow him, to, to do this role that we're called to do, to catch men and women. We might have questions. To care for others, well, I actually don't really like others. To, to tell them about Jesus, well, I don't, I don't know what I would say. To spend time with them, to leave our comfortable, 
life. Well, I, I have a hard time doing that. And again, this is where we find such relief in this passage. That as you look at the people that Jesus called, they were not trained for this. They did not have the skill set for this. They were not even seeking after Jesus. Jesus sought them instead to be part of this work. And as, you can, as we continue to read through the book of Luke together, we will see story after story after story of these disciples making mistakes. What we see in this is this task that's given to Jesus' followers is not because of our ability or our power. It's not because we have an incredible gift set. It's because we have an incredible God who calls us to do this work, who enables us to do it, who recognizes how difficult it is and yet how beautiful it is as people delighted in Jesus, delighting in seeing others to follow Jesus as well. Last thing for us from this passage, we've seen it, this unlikely mission continues, that we cannot do it alone, that it's not based off of our ability. And it's also that we have a Jesus that impacts every part of who we are. Jesus impacts everything. And that this call that's given to us to make uh, disciples, to catch men and women for Jesus, to help them see and to follow him, well, that does sound daunting. It does sound scary, but it looks a little bit less so when we ourselves realize the beauty and the power of this great physician. As we see Jesus, as we trust in him ourselves, well, that helps us in this call that's given to all of us to make disciples. That as we read this text, we realize that I am like Simon. That when I am confronted with the purity and the power of Jesus, I can say nothing else than depart from me. For I am a sinful man. I am not worthy to be around you. I have gone my own way for far too long. I cannot be near you that I am like Simon because I see how far off from Jesus I am, and yet I'm also like Levi, like Matthew, that when this Jesus comes to me, that I was far gone, and yet he came and drew near to me, what other response is there than celebration and gladness and raucous parties? What other response is there than to turn and trust in this man who has come towards me that when confronted with the greatest of news that there is, that I don't deserve your presence and yet you have come to me, what other response is there than bringing along those that I know, that I come across, people who were like me before to come and meet this Jesus? Do you realize that that's what Levi did? Right after meeting Jesus, he calls for a party where he invites Tax collectors and sinners, you were like me until I met this Jesus. Now come, come and meet him. He is fishing for men in his own way. And when these people see Jesus, when they saw who he was, when they saw what he was doing, when he saw how he and he alone treated them, how he was bringing salvation and restoration, how he was bringing people in from the fringes, what other response was there than what we see them both do? Simon, James, John, Levi, leaving everything behind to follow him. But maybe we're not at that place yet. Maybe, maybe we're not seeing that Jesus that's fully worthy of trust, that we're willing to leave everything behind to follow him. Or, or maybe we're in one of those times of our lives where, where it's difficult, where, where the, the beauty and the purpose of Jesus is, is not as vibrant as it usually is for us. We, we all have those times in our lives. 
or maybe I'm a freak and it's just me, but, but maybe we're in a time like that. Or, or maybe we're, we're struggling with, with this task that's been given us to make disciples, to catch men and women when we see how difficult that is, how uncomfortable it is. That, that's a struggle for us. Or maybe we're just in a place where we just want to come and sing some songs and eat a donut and slip out. Or maybe we're having a hard time seeing how Jesus has to do with anything that we're actually going through. Like these are great stories on the page, but what does Jesus know about life in 2022? What does Jesus know about what it means to be a mother or a father? What does Jesus know about data entry? What does Jesus know about having to balance a schedule or finances or, or this class load that we're under? What, what does Jesus know about having doubts? Probably the exact same that Jesus knew about fishing. But maybe we're in a time like this where we're, where we're having a hard time with following this, this Jesus. And so I encourage you to keep coming back to connect with us here. Because what you will find here is, is a group of people who are also struggling. A, a group of people who, who miss the beauty of this physician at times who comes to seek and save the lost. A, a group of people who are daunted by this task of making disciples. A, a group of people who need to be reminded that this good news is for all people. And, and that's the best of a solution that I have is to keep coming back to find uh, fellow uh, people around you because that's the only solution that I have. I don't have a spiritual exercise for you that makes this all go away. I don't have words that you can recite. I don't have another event that, th this is the one that's gonna make everything good or another group. We, we see a lot of value in our programs, but they alone aren't gonna fix any of this. Instead, our solution is the same one that we see in this text. That Simon goes from depart from me to being part of this role. That Levi goes from being a traitor, a tax collector, the most looked down upon in society, to being included into this process. How does that happen? Where does this boldness come from? Not perfect boldness. They still make mistakes. Where, where does this turning come from? Well, it's in seeing Jesus. Because what we're doing in this time as we're going through the, the book of Luke is we are looking to him to gain the courage to do this work that he's called us to, to make disciples, to fish for men and women. We are looking to him to find any sort of certainty or purpose in this world. We are looking to him to find peace and joy. We are looking to him to find what we ought to do with our lives because it's only in looking to him that we find these answers. So continue with us as we seek to do the same thing that Simon and Levi did. It's in seeing Jesus that enabled them to do the work that God called them to do. Join us as we are people who are struggling as well. As we don't always do this as well as we would like, as well as we think we ought to. Join us as we are doing what God's people have always been and have always done. What you will find here is unlikely individuals formed into an unlikely group towards an unlikely mission. Father, we are so grateful that you show us that this work 
that your son has done, this work that he's done to bring good news to all people, this work that is so desperately longed for throughout history, throughout all of our lives, and yet you have come to bring life and joy and peace. You have come to show this good news and that it's attainable. You've come to show us our part and what it is that you are doing. We are grateful that we are included in this work. It is so honoring to be part of reaching people, of fishing for men, of making disciples. It is so relieving to realize that we don't have to do this alone. It is so relieving to realize that it's not off of anything that we have on, on our resume. It's not something we've earned or deserve, but it's because you are working through us. And we are so grateful that it's in seeing who your son is and what he's done that shapes us and molds us it gives us the means, the ability, the encouragement, the drive to do what you've called us to do. Help us as people who struggle, who feel defeated, who feel like we don't deserve this, to see the goodness of your grace, the goodness of your son who has come to seek and save people who are ailing, people who are lost, people like us. So it's you and you alone we pray.